Young, high-capital, working-age people are needed in many nations to fuel their economic growth. As a result, countries have started to call their residents abroad to return, a phenomenon termed by Professor Zweig as reverse migration. But what tempts them to come back? Can any state pull it off? Discussions of China's Thousand Talents Plan in relation to this issue could answer these questions and many more. In this episode, Professor Zweig will share his research and the effect of China's Thousand Talents Plan. So, um, the macro environment is very, and the micro environment is very important, right? Uh, people, if, if the government, if institutions are not creating an environment that's conducive for these returnees to come back, both physically, psychologically comfortable, and that actually does let them get the rewards, then they may not want to come or they may come back and decide to leave. And I quote um, uh, Muming Pu, who was a former Berkeley prof, obstacles to Chinese research institutions Achieving excellence are cultural rather than economic. The most urgent task in building research institute in China is the creation of an intellectual atmosphere that is conducive to creative work. Until then, a significant flow of scientific talent back is unlikely. This is a long time ago. This is 20 years ago. But I would still argue it's a it's an ongoing battle. You know, it's not one that you you can't defeat traditional culture so quickly, right? So uh, I also see these reforming environments as a class of culture, right? And you can see this all the time, and you can probably see it here, where this is a small institution somehow pulled out of Tsinghua. You can run it internally under a Western kind of culture, but whenever you interact with the outside environment, you have to interact on their terms, right? And that's very much how China did a lot of reforms, which is what Zhao Ziyang called a xiao huanjing, the small environment. Um, and, and I did a lot of research on that as well. Um, and, and the argument is that a lot of these norms that will bring about, and maybe it's an ethnocentric, I'm looking at Amitabh and I'm saying to myself, maybe this is an ethnocentric Western uh, perspective, um, but, but um, this is really a problem. I mean, the Western people come back, or the people who studied overseas, they bring rewards or they bring uh, uh, standards that they can meet. And they say, these are the standards we all should be working towards. You know, global publications in top journals. Well, profs at Beida who got a local PhD and who never went overseas, they can't do that very well, right? So there's a clash of cultures, which also has financial and status implications. Right. So granting special titles, privileges, power to each successive ways of returnees challenges the prestige and authority of those who are already back. So initially, the battle was between the Haigui, the returnees and the people who had never gone overseas. Then by 2010, the battle was between the new highway, the really new talented people, and people who had been overseas for a while and were now running institutions. But they had only been abroad as visiting scholars. They did not have foreign PhDs, and they couldn't compete very well against these new high flyers uh, uh, who were coming in, particularly under the Thousand Talents plan. 
right? So this is just a good quote because it doesn't actually focus so much on the areas I'm looking at. If returnees always insist that the external environment must be the first to change, then the top positions and opportunities will never belong to them. Even though they may have done very well in foreign firms, they must change if they want to survive and develop in national firms. And this is by a guy named Jonkers who works in Europe and who's done a lot of work on this topic. Um, the rewards, different kinds of rewards, uh, financial, psychological, social, um, uh, you know, psychic, some sense of nationalism. I don't, I don't downgrade or deny patriotism. I just don't say it's going to drive people back. It's, it's, it's excessively ideological to say you should come back. Igor, you come back. People don't come back very many for Igor. I mean, if they're not going to get a decent buck, they ain't coming. Right. They will. But loving the country is important. Anyway, I used to have all kinds of fights with people about this. Right. Um, and th there are reasons you can return for positive reasons and you can turn for failure. Some people fail. I can show you data on that. And some people return for family. And I'm not giving a talk on this, but another paper that I did talked about people your age um, going back home for family. And I can tell you that those of you who go home for family will be the least happy of anybody who goes home, right? The least happy. So Leo, don't do it, right? If you have a good opportunity, go. If you've got some technology or something that the state needs or the economy needs, go. If it's just to make your parents happy, you'll be miserable. And I can prove that empirically, right? We did surveys. I can, again, I can prove that empirically, right? I give that talk to mainlanders in the U.S. and they all sort of go, hmm, right? And then if there's this whole question of bias, right? Is there bias within the organization, right? At the national level, at the, within the organization. Um, and so, so sometimes the rewards are not forthcoming, though you've been promised. I have a very good friend who went to, um, who's at Fudan, he's now retired, but was a very successful banker um, uh, in Japan, speaks fluent Japanese. They persuaded him to come back and they never gave him the housing that they promised him. Not uncommon, right? Um, and then there's this sense of accomplishment at being able to, right? You have to be able to feel that you're actually fulfilling your, your accomplishments. Right, being able to do that um, and using your advanced human capital. Okay, the elite perspective, from the beginning of the mid-1990s, the leadership started to talk about this issue at both the globe, the national level and at the municipal and provincial level, right? And they started to use the word shortage. So at the beginning of the ninth five-year plan, there was an article, what kind of talent does Shenzhen need? What's short? And it listed the talents in short supply in Shenzhen. Finance, IT, foreign trade, tourism, biotech, computers. Shandong and Shanghai had similar articles and similar documents. Shanghai government in 1999 targeted persons who have patents and inventions or technology leading in the world or filling gaps in the projects urgently needed at home and personnel who have obtained a PhD degree in urgently needed professional fields. So they were very much aware of this and targeted it. 
Um, in May 2002, uh, an important national document put emphasis on importing high quality talent, which is in short supply. So they even use those words. Um, uh, another document in 2007, an opinion on progressively strengthening the work of human of training human talent in key sectors of the state where there is shortage. So clearly they're concerned about it. So if I can measure it and then I can test if that actually is an important factor promoting reverse migration uh, of going back to China. So in December of 2008, he became the head of the organization that's responsible for personnel, which is called the organization department. It's not the personnel department within the party, it's called the organization department. And as with so many things about China, you have a leadership small group, a Lingdao Xiaozu. And so there is a Lingdao Xiaozu, a leadership small group on talent. And through that, he introduced what became known as the Thousand Talents Plan, which became very controversial in the United States. Um, but was a just to show you kind of how his open mind, he talked about welcoming environment based on three kinds of Quan, Quan Song, Quan Rong, and Quan Ho, relaxed, tolerant, and lenient. Be nice to these guys. We want them. Reward them. And he even talked about Maslow's theory of, you know, uh, hierarchy. You know, you want to, don't talk about patriotism because it's not going to get you anywhere. Talk about how you get these people to feel really comfortable. He applauded the National Institute of Biological Science, which is not part of CAS, not part of the Chinese Academy of Sciences. Um, and they used world standards in hiring and meritocratic manner of allocating funding to research teams within, purely based on your publication skills and your talent, right? Which is revolutionary in some ways um, uh, in the early days in China. Now, I can tell you, I attended one of the great moments of my life I attended a meeting in Shenzhen in 2012, where I was asked to speak to Li Yuanqiao. And the question I was asked to discuss is, why is he having trouble with his Thousand Talents plan? And so I told him, the power of the bureaucrats is too much, and they're blocking you. And he immediately turned to the president of Dalian Qing, uh, Dalian Li Gong Dashue, Dalian Pauli Yu, and he said in Chinese, Jake Weiger and Shuo, need a trend, Li, Tai Da, Ni Tong Yi Bu Tong Yi. And he turned to this official and he said, This foreigner has said that you have too much power. Do you agree? Right? And then they got into a huge fight about the Thousand Talents plan because the guy was not implementing it. Right? So, it was, and then lost his job several months later. Um, for, I get maybe for, for opposing the leadership. And here, just to show how open-minded uh, Lian Chao was, he commissioned a survey, right, on the conditions of the implementation of the Thousand Talents Plan, which I was able to find. And there it is, right up there, not the most important, but there's number three, Renji Guanxi Tai Fuzha. Personal, personal ties are too complex non-transparent application processes, the use of the back door, which Chinese always complain about, the homen, um, all of this stuff, bureaucratism. And so this is pretty good for the Communist Party to put out a document, or at least to do this kind of research. So he was pretty, pretty open guy, but he stepped down in 2012. 
Uh, he was only allowed to keep the post for five years, became vice president, and now he probably is sitting somewhere uh, in a house, not under arrest. And that ends our episode. Now that we understand the general idea of reverse migration, our next episodes will delve deeper into China's Thousand Talents Plan and its actual effects. Thanks again for your time, and we look forward to you tuning in next time. Again, this is Kurt Abalos of TSE Pods. See you next time with your cup of coffee.